Today I'm wearing a tie from Edison State uh, Community College in Piqua. Uh, Edison has grown from 309 students enrolled uh, in 30 courses in 1973 to more than 3,000 students enrolled today in about 30 technical fields. So a shout out to uh, everyone from Edison State. Fran and I were saddened uh, to learn on Saturday of the death of John Lewis. Um, John Lewis really helped change America. Um, in 2004, uh, when I was in the United States Senate, I was privileged, uh, Fran and I were, along with our two uh, youngest children, Anna and Mark, uh, to be on a uh, civil rights pilgrimage uh, led by John Lewis. Um, he did that, I'm sure, a number of different times, but we were privileged to be on, on one of those tours uh, into the South, Alabama, Tennessee, um, and it was quite an really uh, amazing experience. Um, he took us uh, to the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, uh, where on March 7th, uh, 1965, uh, known as Bloody Sunday, he and so many other civil rights protesters were attacked and beaten as they peacefully marched. Uh, and I'm sure many of you saw those that film replayed um, over the last few days. Um, extraordinary man, uh, someone who, uh, uh, when he saw injustice, spoke out, spoke out very loud, but also someone who, when you talk to him in person, was very gentle, uh, wonderful, just an absolutely wonderful human being, uh, a very, very courageous man, uh, one of our heroes uh, who we lost uh, this past week go and take a look at some of the uh, data. Today we're reporting 1,527 new COVID-19 cases in Ohio. Uh, sadly, this is the second highest daily uh, new cases we've reported, behind only uh, 1,679 new cases last Friday. Uh, sadly, we had 16 more deaths reported uh, since yesterday. We also have 128 new hospitalizations, uh, 19 ICU admissions uh, reported in the last 24 hours. So as we look at that, um, as we'll see with the ICU admissions, fairly consistent, um, uh, not, not a huge change, kind of goes up and down. Uh, the hospitalizations, though, are, are certainly higher than the 21-day average. Uh, the deaths are about what the 21-day average has been. And, of course, the cases, um, you know, have been hovering between 12, uh, 1,200 and 1,500, 1,600 uh, over the last week or so. Uh, let's look, uh, Eric, at the hospitalization uh, slide. Uh, let's look at the daily number of COVID-19 patients that are currently in Ohio hospitals. Uh, we'll continue to see a, a, an increase. Uh, the chart shows an increase from 908, 908 uh, patients on July 9th to 1,098 patients uh, as of today. So it's a slow but steady increase in the number of patients um, that we have in our Ohio hospitals. Last week, um, I called upon all Ohioans to wear a mask. 
uh, when they were out in public. Uh, the evidence is just abundantly clear. As I said, uh, the jury's back, the verdict's in, uh, masks work, and particularly when masks are used with the social distancing, the two layers Dr. Acton used to talk about, the, the Swiss cheese, a couple of those layers on there makes a huge, huge difference. Um, Dr. Robert Redfield, director of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, said last week, and I quote, if all of us would put on a face covering now for the next four weeks, six weeks, we could drive this epidemic to the ground. Uh, very, very strong language. Uh, we know that masks do in fact work. If the vast majority of us would wear them, uh, it matters a, a great, great deal. Um, the last few weeks, I've been on the phone regularly to um, our county health commissioners, 113 um, health commissioners around the state. Uh, I've also talked in the last few days to a number of the mayors, uh, a number of our county commissioners. And we do have some good news. Uh, and some of the good news is, and this is the map, this is not a new map, this is from last week. Uh, we won't change that map until the data is uh, compiled today. Uh, but, you know, the good news is that in a lot of our red counties, um, the reporting I'm getting back would indicate that more and more people are wearing masks. So that is a very, uh, very, very good thing. I want to thank everyone for doing it. I want to thank the retailers who, who have been involved in encouraging people uh, to do that. So uh, the wearing a mask in the red communities uh, has certainly gone up, and uh, I'm very grateful for that. Um, our preliminary data uh, indicates uh, and this is significant, that the rate of increase in new cases in these red counties uh, has slowed. Uh, we cannot yet say we're at a plateau, uh, but the rate of increase uh, has certainly slowed. Uh, we believe that, uh, at least in part, uh, maybe a lot uh, of this is due to the fact that more people are, in fact, wearing masks. Uh, so we are cautiously optimistic that things uh, in those counties that were slowing that curve, again, not to a plateau yet, don't want to get over enthusiastic about it, but it looks like the wearing the mask is starting to have uh, some effect. Uh, I want to thank everyone again in our red counties for wearing the mask. Uh, it is making a difference. Now let's talk about our counties that are yellow and orange uh, levels now. Um, when we look at these counties, and again, some of these may change tomorrow. In fact, we, we have some indication already in the preliminary data that you're going to see more counties, unfortunately, go red tomorrow. Uh, so we'll have some more counties go red, it looks like, uh, and we'll get that final data worked out, worked out tonight. Um, but let's talk about these yellow counties, these orange counties. Uh, our goal, obviously, is for those counties not to go red. Um, and that is just vitally uh, in, important. Um, we know from what's happening nationwide, uh, we know from what medical science tells us now, and we know so much more today than we knew at the beginning of this pandemic. We know that the wearing of masks in those yellow counties and in those orange counties uh, will in fact make a difference and may help those counties uh, not turn red. Uh, so doing this in those counties where the threat level is lower at the current point, 
um, makes sense. Uh, it's essential that we wear masks statewide in Ohio to contain the spread of this virus. And so therefore, uh, tomorrow at 6 o'clock, tomorrow night, uh, our mask order uh, for people who are out in public uh, will be extended uh, throughout the state of Ohio. So again, that will be at 6 o'clock tomorrow night. Uh, every county in the state of Ohio, uh, people who are out in public should in fact wear a mask. Um, again, um, the wearing of the mask plus the social distancing uh, makes a huge, huge difference. So just to reiterate, um, beginning tomorrow in all counties in Ohio, uh, individuals who are out in public must wear facial coverings when you are in an indoor location that's not a residence or outdoors uh, but are unable to maintain six-foot social distance from people who are not members of your household. And also for wait waiting uh, for a ride, driving or operating public transportation, such as a taxi, a car service, or a private car used for ride sharing. In all those cases, again, the order is the same as it's been in the past. We now are just extending it to more counties. Uh, I also want to emphasize, uh, as we see more and more people uh, wear masks, and there may be some people who do not wear masks, uh, I want to emphasize that if someone has a medical reason for not wearing a mask, uh, they do not have to wear a mask. Uh, and I would also uh, urge all my fellow citizens to not be judgmental. Uh, if someone is in a store and they do not have a mask now, uh, we should assume that they have some medical problem. Uh, we should assume that there is some very legitimate reason where they while they cannot wear a mask. I would again, again emphasize this mask order is only for those 10 years of age and older. Um, and again, I will emphasize what the medical experts tell us, that masks are not to be worn by infants. Um, you know, one uh, indicator was certainly not uh, under two. Um, you know, someone who is young certainly does not have to wear a mask, and certainly someone uh, who is very young should not have a mask on at all. And again, uh, you, you can look up that guidance, but we are not requiring anybody uh, to, to do that. Uh, again, uh, the following do not need to wear a mask. Let me just read it. Those who have a medical condition or a disability or those who are trying to communicate with someone who has a disability. Uh, second, those who are actively exercising or playing sports. Uh, three, those who officiate at religious services, and this includes uh, anyone who's speaking at a religious service uh, where a mask would in, in, impede what they're trying to do. Uh, those who are actively involved uh, in public safety do not have to wear a mask, or those who are actively eating, actively eating or drinking. Um, just in conclusion, we've got to get this virus under control. Uh, wearing masks is going to make a difference. Uh, it will make a difference in what our fall looks like. What we do between now and the next several weeks will determine what our fall is like. We all want kids to go back to school. We want to see sports. We want to see a lot of different things. We want to uh, you know, have more opportunities in the fall. And to do that, uh, it's just very important that all Ohioans uh, wear a mask. Uh, continuing on uh, the topic of, of mask, uh, we've called upon uh, a number of our fellow citizens to uh, help us explain this. Um, 
we have two new commercials that we're on air right now. Uh, they will start uh, today. So I think one starts today. The other one starts tomorrow. Uh, the Ohio Bureau of Workers' Compensation will again sponsor these ads, which were created in partnership with the Ohio Restaurant Association, Ohio Health, Jobs Ohio, and the Ohio Business Roundtable. The 30-second spots feature real Ohioans explaining to other Ohioans why we should all wear a mask and be careful. Uh, the bottom line is we do it to protect our loved ones and coworkers and strangers alike. We do it to protect lives and livelihoods so that we can continue to have an effective and safe economic recovery. We can do two things at once. Uh, before we show you the spots, I want to offer special thanks uh, again to Dr. Laura S.B. Bell, again to restaurant owner Gary uh, Calicote, uh, and Steve Markovich, a former Air National Guardsman and fighter pilot who is CEO of Ohio Health. Uh, so, Eric, let's take a look at those two, two ads. I wear a mask to keep my grandmother safe. My dad. My sister, who's immunocompromised. I wore a mask to protect my coworkers, to make my office safe. So businesses can stay open and don't close again, and jobs can come back. I wear a mask to help my favorite restaurant. To help my favorite store. To protect my customers. Please wear a mask in public. It's up to all of us. And we'll see the next one. Years ago, I flew combat missions in the Middle East. Now I'm on the front lines of fighting another enemy. And I have a very important message for younger adults. You can carry COVID-19 without even knowing it and then infect others who aren't as healthy as you, like an older relative or a coworker who is immunocompromised. Please wear a mask in public. Protect your family, friends, and coworkers. We can win this battle, but it's up to all of us. Let me now move to another subject. A few weeks ago, we talked about a group of students who traveled to Myrtle Beach together uh, from Belmont County. In all, 45 students made that trip. When they returned, 16 people initially tested positive for COVID-19. Today, we know that 28 of those travelers have, in fact, tested positive. Uh, those individuals uh, certainly could have exposed family and friends. Uh, unfortunately, this uh, story is really not that unique. Uh, we've heard from multiple local health departments, and again, something that, that we have been doing is calling our local health departments, finding out exactly what they're seeing, where they're seeing people in, infected. Um, we've heard from many of these health departments that they're tracing cases related to out-of-state travel. Uh, trips to state where there are high positivity rates, uh, South Carolina, for example, Florida, uh, are leading to outbreaks right here in the Buckeye State. Uh, so today we're putting out an advisory, a travel advisory uh, for all individuals uh, who come into Ohio from these states. It also includes anyone from Ohio who goes visit those states and come back. Uh, let me just say that, you know, there's two things obviously people should be concerned about. Uh, one is the state that they're going into, and that the higher the positivity rate, the more that they should be concerned about that. The other thing, uh, to state the obvious, is what they do in those states. Um, you know, if, so, if someone uh, is very, very careful, 
uh, you know, if, if they are able to go to the beach, separate from other people, uh, or if they're hiking and doing things. So a lot depends on, of course, your risk is based upon what you are doing in these other states. Um, but um, this advisory um, covers all individuals coming into Ohio from states reporting positive testing rates of 15% or higher. Uh, and we recommend that those individuals self-quarantine for 14 days. So again, these would be the states, as you can see, uh, Florida, 19%. Um, I guess the highest state looks like it's uh, uh, Arizona, I guess. Uh, but all of these are over the markers. Uh, obviously, people can be careful, should be careful no matter where they go, but uh, these are states, and we just put this kind of on a, on a warning list. Uh, we will update this every week. Uh, it, again, it's, it's similar to some of the advisories, frankly, that uh, you used to get at the airport, or you still do, I guess, get at the airport. I haven't flown for a while. Uh, but, uh, you know, you'd walk in and you'd see uh, Port-au-Prince or someplace uh, did not have good security, and they, there was a caution that warned you about that. So we're just putting this up. Uh, we're looking at positivity rates, which we think is a good way to, to look at it. Uh, ours is about 6.2, 6.3, something in that area, just to, just to give you some reference points. So we would ask people to be uh, careful. This is going to be based on a seven-day rolling average. Uh, we will update the list of states weekly. The, the list today includes travel to and from Alabama, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, uh, Mississippi, Nevada, uh, Puerto Rico, South Carolina, and Texas. So Puerto Rico is on there as well. Uh, if you're traveling from one of those states with a high positivity rate, you should self-quarantine at home or in a hotel. Uh, this applies to people who call Ohio home uh, and people who are traveling into Ohio from states with high positivity rates, whether they're traveling for business or vacationing. Uh, please visit our website at coronavirus.ohio.gov for more specific information. Again, it's an advisory. It's not an order, uh, but we want to no notify people and we would ask them uh, to protect everyone, protect their family, and to protect others. If you're coming from one of those states, you've been visiting there, uh, you, we would ask you to self-quarantine. Uh, look, we, we know all of these things are sacrifices, but we hope that these are short-term sacrifices for something um, that we all want to see, and that is to get this virus under control and be able to do more things uh, as we move, move into the fall. I want to talk about... Um, our system that we announced several uh, weeks ago uh, with different colors. I want to provide an update on our county color system. Uh, again, we'll show you the new, uh, the new um, map tomorrow. Uh, the early warning system uh, advises Ohioans when spread of the virus is increasing in their county based on seven separate indicators. Uh, the more indicators triggered, uh, the higher the alert level and the more precautions Ohioans should take. Um, the system was designed to be refined over time, and we said that at the beginning, and we will continue to refine it. And so we're going to make a, a refinement today. Uh, in the next few weeks, uh, we're moving towards adding indicators related to testing as more localized testing data becomes available. We don't have that yet, but we're getting to it. We will also later add an indicator related to known contacts spreading the virus when such local data, data is uh, made available. Uh, in addition, beginning with this week's updated color system map for tomorrow, uh, we are making an enhancement to our ICU indicator. 
this was developed, uh, frankly, in conjunction with the Ohio Hospital Association, with Ohio hospitals. Uh, currently, this indicator is triggered if the ICU capacity for a county's hospital region exceeds 80% of normal capacity. That's by region. Uh, we will be adding to this. We'll be enhancing this indicator uh, to address concerns uh, in the event the ICU levels increase due to reasons other than COVID. So we want to allow for that. Beginning with tomorrow's map, this indicator will trigger if ICU capacity for a county's hospital region exceeds 80%, which is what it is now of normal capacity, and, and this is what we're adding, and 20% of the normal ICU capacity is being used for COVID-19 positive patients, 20% or more. Uh, of the normal ICU capacity is being used for COVID-19 positive patients. Uh, the 80% indicator is certainly a good early warning to measure increasing utilization of ICU services. Uh, the enhancement improves the indicator to ensure we're capturing developments in ICU utilization related to COVID-19 uh, and not uh, by the COVID-19 and not from changes unrelated to the COVID. Uh, let me talk about county fairs for a moment. Um, had a conversation uh, this morning uh, with all the fair directors around the state, uh, members of the local fair boards, uh, others associated with the fairs. Um, and let me talk a moment about this. Uh, our, our goal was to try to, uh, in, as we had the coronavirus, uh, living with coronavirus, our goal is still to try to provide an outlet for young people who are in 4-H, uh, FFA, uh, who participate in junior fairs around the state. Uh, this is something that is important to many, many families. Uh, it's part of their summer activity. Uh, some kids have raised a steer for a number of months, a uh, long time. Uh, other kids get lambs in the spring, um, and they raise them. Other kids are doing rocketry. Uh, they might be doing something electrical. They might be doing a project connected with photography and so many other things. What we want to do, in spite of the COVID, is to preserve this. Um, and, and so we came out with about three pages uh, of what we felt were fairly simple uh, orders uh, and, and some protocol to be followed uh, by the fairs. Uh, what we have unfortunately started to see uh, is some fairs that were not following that. Uh, some were, some were not. Uh, you know, we saw things like we have one county fair that we so far uh, know of 19 cases that arose out of that county fair. Uh, we've also seen pictures uh, of some fairs where people were not social distancing. We've seen grandstands full of, of people. Uh, so I got on the phone today and talked to all, all the, the folks from every fair. Uh, we spent about an hour together, had a very good, candid uh, conversation. Uh, we want these fairs to continue, uh, but uh, they have to follow the, the rules. Uh, and so they also have to follow what the local health department says. And, and so I think we had a good understanding of that uh, conversation today. We look forward to, to seeing that carried out. Uh, we want the rules carried out. 
the rules that allow people to be as safe as they can. Um, with the new order, of course, today, uh, beginning at 6 o'clock tomorrow night, everybody on the fairgrounds, uh, uh, you know, is going to have to have a, a mask on, uh, you know, unless they're walking through that fairgrounds at 7 in the morning and uh, there's, there's nobody there uh, or not too many people there. And I've, I've been there myself, and so many fairs at early morning. But people just need to use, use common sense. But if they're in public, if they're out there, if they're inter- interacting with other people, which is certainly what you see at a fair at 7 o'clock at night, uh, people will need to have a mask on. But they'll also need to be following the, the, the other protocols that we laid out uh, in the guidelines. One of the reasons that we provided money uh, to each county fair, extra money, that they did not have in the past was to help them uh, be able to provide for this safety. Uh, and so, again, we do not want to be in a position, and I know local health departments, local health departments do not want to be in a position to close fairs, uh, either in the middle of the fair or before the fair. Um, but uh, the, the folks running the fairs, fair boards, everybody is going to have to, to, to own their own fair, basically. Um, and so if you've got too many people in that fairgrounds and they can't be keeping social distancing, then fairs are going to have to simply shut the doors and not let more people in. So, again, this is uh, something between the local fair uh, and their local health department, and uh, I'm confident that people can get this worked out. John? Thank you, Governor. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, I'm going to uh, kind of support, uh, I'm going to share a little good news, I guess is the way to, to say it. Um, talking about the economic momentum that we're, that's being generated as we battle COVID and hopefully prevail in this in this fight, both from a health point of view and economic point of view. And why we focus on economics is really, really important because let's face it, um, there are a lot of challenges that people are facing out there when you have high unemployment rates. People need jobs uh, to pay for the essentials, for rent, for mortgages, for their car payments, uh, to sustain uh, their quality of life and their opportunity to get ahead. Uh, And obviously, from our point of view, uh, we have a responsibility uh, to balance the budget, to provide a safety net for people uh, that depend on government for education, whether that's K through 12, higher ed, uh, for their health care through Medicaid, uh, through their public services that that we provide. at the state and local level. So economic momentum is important, and we have a little bit of it going on in Ohio. Uh, It it was announced last Friday that the unemployment rate in Ohio is 10.9%. That's down from uh, earlier months where it was 17%. uh, It was 13.9% in May, and now in June, we have it registering in at 10.9%. In the month of June, 208,000 more jobs uh, were created, employment, people gone to work, 208,000 more people, uh, 166 fewer were on unemployment. So we have people coming off unemployment, people going to work. uh, This is incredibly important uh, for the future of our state and we're creating a little momentum. Uh, additionally, as we talk to employers, you know, they want to get people back in the office, get them back on the factory floor, put them back to work. Uh, and we, um, 
one of the things that employers will tell us is that they're concerned about employer liability. And the governor signed a letter along with uh, a number of other governors, I believe there are 20 governors uh, across the state asking for uh, federal uh, and the next federal legislation to address both the financial needs and the and and the and the additional circumstances that that face employers and the people of, of our nation that it include um, employer liability. Um, nothing can keep us 100% safe, but when employers are doing the right thing, uh, they need to have some uh, certainty. And we encourage the legislature, our Ohio legislature, to get legislation passed that would do that for the state of Ohio. Um, because let's face it, anytime you set a new set of regulations, that's going to potentially create a new, sets, new, new uh, sense of litigation or new opportunity for litigation. And we want to make sure, uh, along as, as the governor did with other 20 other governors, that we have that stability, that regulatory stability, that liability stability for Ohio employers. Um, and so the letter was to call for the liability protections to shield employers from legal risks associated with the spread of coronavirus. And this is important so long as they are following the appropriate safety standards. Uh, the letter specifically requests that the protections be drawn in a narrow fashion uh, that will not give license for gross negligence, misconduct, or recklessness and that's important it's that balance if people are doing it right they should be protected uh, from uh, unnecessary lawsuits to create that environment where employers are going to make investments they're going to bring people back to work we're going to get the economy growing we're going to help people pay their bills we're we're going to uh, help build that safety net or maintain that safety net for the vulnerable populations in our state and and I want to highlight one business and one example of a business that's doing by the way, I should stop. There are lots of businesses that are doing great things. Uh, there are, most of people are doing it right, creating a safe environment for their employees, helping us get control of the spread of the virus. But I'm going to highlight uh, one business uh, in Ohio who's been doing a great job, GE Aviation. Uh, they have their they have their uh, headquarters in Cincinnati, and they have started an initiative called Layers of Safety. And the governor alluded to Doctor what Doctor Acton used to say, like Swiss cheese, that you put you put one layer over another and it helps. And that's exactly what Layers of Safety is about. Uh, and they are conducting daily temperature screens and health questionnaires for employees who are entering the facilities. They were following the CDC guidelines and asking employees to maintain social distancing of at least six feet. In instances where that's not fe feasible, they're putting uh, barriers in place, physical barriers, or re requiring uh, the masks, of course, which we do uh, now across the state of Ohio. They have significantly increased the frequency of cleaning these manufacturing environments and office environments, and they are making uh, they've made available cleaning solutions, cleaning solutions, and hand sanitizers for disinfecting. And they have established signage and checkpoints providing cleaning status of common areas. Let people know. This place has been cleaned up. You see it in grocery stores with the grocery carts. You see it uh, in, in, uh, in in many businesses around the states to make sure that people are around the state to make sure that people know that the place that they're entering has been cleaned. They are prohibiting large gathering, gatherings in their facilities. Um, they are also adjusting the office environments uh, to reduce the density uh, in those in those facilities. 
uh, reducing occupation uh, occupancy levels, established work zones, areas where, hey, one person can work here that establishes an uh, 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 particularly in the distribution area to make sure people don't go into each other's workspace. Um, they're providing facial coverings for all employees. They're talking to their employees about uh, the risks of after hour uh, conduct as well. Uh, cafeteria seating uh, to make sure that everything is aligned with the CDC guidelines. I run through all of this because this is the extent that employers are doing that employers are undertaking to do their part to slow the spread. And when they do that, they deserve to have uh, the protections in place that allow them uh, to bring people back to work without uh, having the legal liabilities associated uh, with coronavirus. And that's what they've been asking. We're all in this together. They, uh, businesses around the state are stepping up and doing their part with the masks campaigns uh, and with creating a safe environment. And, and uh, we uh, in the state, when we do that, when we have employers do that, we can support lives and livelihoods, live with the coronavirus in their life, put people back to work, allow them to, to get that paycheck to help uh, pay for the essentials and, and grow the economy. That's been working well. And what the governor's plea and my plea is, is that we have to keep doing it. Keep doing the things that are that are going to allow people to go back to work to make sure we slow the spread. Governor's issued a number of new challenges for us to, to continue to comply with. And if we do that, um, Ohio will continue to improve economically and from a health point of view. Governor? John, thank you. Thank you very much. You know, we constantly um, look to see where people are getting uh, the virus, where they're being infected. Um, and we rely on our 113 local health departments, your local health department, uh, to give us that information. And I, something that may surprise you, it a little sort of surprised me, is how many times it really is just an informal get-together uh, that is causing the spread. I think there's a general tendency when we're with people that we know, uh, maybe not to be as concerned. Uh, but, of course, the problem with the virus is that you can have it and you don't know you have it. You can spread it and you don't know you're spreading it. And that's that's the real danger. So uh, I, we spend a lot of time on the phone and getting data from local health departments. Um, so many of these are house parties, uh, something going on in someone's backyard, uh, neighborhood get-togethers, children's sleepovers, bridal showers, uh, on and on. In Ashtabula, for example, a 70-year-old hosted a party on the 4th of July for his co-workers. Um, three people got sick, including the host, who is now tragically on a ventilator. Uh, seven adults in Mansfield got sick uh, at a household party. Tuscaroras County, a teenager's house party over the 4th of July, had attendees from multiple school systems and led to 10 new cases. Dayton-Montgomery County Public Health issued a release last week uh, looking for people who attended a two-day house party in Miamisburg at two separate locations with as many as 50 people in attendance. Dozens of students from Miamisburg High School and surrounding districts were exposed to a person who had the coronavirus. Uh, it's, unknown, it's unknown currently exactly how many people from that party now have the virus. 
Uh, as I said, I was on a call yesterday with many of our local health departments, learned about two different uh, incidents. In one case, a group of young people in Cleveland got together for Fourth of July barbecue. None of them wore masks. Well, why? Well, because they had already been spending time together, thought it was okay. Unfortunately, six people um, were symptomatic within three days and have tested positive for the virus. In another case, the brother of the bride in a wedding party was not feeling well a couple of days before the wedding on July 4th. He shrugged them off as allergies, didn't wear a mask to the rehearsal, nor to the wedding. About 300 people attended the outdoor ceremony and indoor reception. Guests came from across the country and internationally to attend. Everyone at the wedding was offered a mask. Many did not use them. Uh, we don't know yet how many cases are tied to this wedding, but we anticipate several based on the nature of the event and that the brother of the bride was involved in multiple days of celebrations. Uh, the virus is real. Uh, we certainly cannot let our guard down. We have here with us today Jill Parker, who lives on a small farm in South Vienna. Uh, Jill's married, mother of three adult daughters, grandmother to a beautiful granddaughter. Uh, she's a graduate of Shawnee High School, president, a president of the Northeastern School District in Clark County. Uh, and she's here today to tell her story. Jill, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you doing it. And if you could just um, tell everybody kind of your story. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to speak. Um, just like so many of the cases you just mentioned, we had a very small family gathering on the 4th of July. <clears throat> Honestly believed that we were very safe. No one knew of anyone they had been around who was positive. We believe that one person had been around an asymptomatic carrier. And within a couple of days of the gathering, the first people started having symptoms. Thankfully, everybody was very responsible, and by midweek had begun self-isolating and scrambling for tests. But we did. We dropped our guard. You've, you've heard the story over and over. We dropped our guard. We thought we, we certainly don't have any symptoms. We know all these people. We've been around them. What's the harm? And sadly, people got sick. I know you shared this on, on Facebook, which is where I think we saw it first. Uh, I wonder why, could you just tell us why you came forward with the, with the story? Well, honestly, because the virus is challenging enough to deal with without the social and political rhetoric that's attached to it. Um, we've, we've all been, we all know people who doubt that it's real, uh, who dismiss the use of masks. And I was one who had actually been very careful and, and, and sadly still got the virus. And the virus is scary. It's terrifying when you have it. It's the physical symptoms. It's the anxiety, the depression. And I just felt it was really necessary for me to share my story, let people see how, the, how it actually can affect someone's life. Well, thank you very, very much. How, how is your family doing? How are you doing? We're doing very well. Thank you for asking. We were very fortunate. Um, despite having literally the checklist of symptoms from the CDC, most of them were very mild, and everyone is recovering. We were very, very thankful that that was the case. Well, that's great. Yeah, that's great. So, we also had young people. It's important to know that these were 
largely early to mid 20 year olds. So not necessarily in a high danger demographic, but these kids did the right thing. They were smart, they self-isolated and they got tested immediately. Oh, great. Well, thank you for sharing this with us, and, and thanks to your family for doing, uh, do, doing the right thing, and uh, uh, we appreciate really the story. And I think it kind of illustrates, I don't know if you were able to hear some of the examples I re- read, but um, just people kind of going about their lives like they normally would, and I suppose being around either friends or family, and I think our natural tendency is when we're with friends and we're with family and we're people we know, you know, we let our guard down. I mean, we don't we don't worry about it. And I mm-hmm. think that's part of the maybe part of the challenge. Of course, people don't know, you know, who has it, and who doesn't have it. And the people who have it many times don't know they have it, which is the real I think the real challenge. Right. And that sense of, of, of familiarity does give you a false sense of security. Yeah. Well, thank you. We really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing that with us, and, and good luck to you and your family. We appreciate thank it. Thank you very much. Thank you very, very much. Uh, we are ready for questions. Dan Perlman with NBC4 here in Columbus. In light of the news yesterday regarding Speaker Householder, I'm sure you've heard there are now bipartisan calls to repeal House Bill 6. In light of Speaker Householder's arrest yesterday, is that something you would support given the situation and where we stand today? No, I, I would not. Uh, for a long time, um, you know, I've ad- advocated, Lieutenant Governor's advocated for a balanced energy policy in the state of Ohio. Uh, we think having nuclear plants uh, is a part of that balanced uh, policy. Um, we had a couple f- big factors uh, in, in my support um, for, for the bill. Uh, one uh, is the jobs. Uh, we had the opportunity to visit one of the one of the plants, saw some of the workers. Uh, when you look at the numbers, a lot of workers there. Um, second, uh, if we would have lost our two nuclear plants, which we would have, I believe, without this bill, uh, it would have meant that we would have had virtually no, very, very little non-carbon uh, generating uh, energy. And I think that that would not have been good. We need we need balance in our energy. Uh, and, and as much as we would like to see other forms of, of energy that are non-carbon, uh, the nuclear is where you get the most of it today and certainly where you get the most of it in the state of Ohio. Uh, so what was going on in that campaign and what – all, you know the, uh, the very very sad story that we all read yesterday when we looked at looked at uh, the charges or we looked at the affidavit uh, d- does not impact wh- where I am in regard to the policy of it. Um, John, no, I've I've been involved in in energy policy in Ohio for a long time. I, I when I was Speaker of the House, I put the original clean energy standards in for Ohio. Uh, 
Ohio needs zero carbon energy to hit our targeted uh, goals for carbon reduction. And in the near term, uh, I literally talked to the U.S. Secretary of Energy about this this morning. Uh, in the near term, uh, nuclear is the only large scale way to do that. And we hope over time that we will have more uh, wind, solar, uh, conservation options, better battery technology that will enable us to do this. But for the time being, for Ohio to hit any reasonable carbon reduction goals, we have to have nuclear energy. Jack Windsor, WMFD-TV, Mansfield. Uh, Governor, in your address to Ohioans last week, you talked a lot about spread and the positivity rate. Ohio is currently at about 6%. The World Health Organization and Johns Hopkins has indicated the positivity rate around 5% means the virus is under control. We also know that the director of the CDC said on June 26th and again yesterday that up to 24% have already been infected based on antibody studies in 10 states. All this validates statements made by Dr. Fauci and Dr. Acton back in March. The point is of 700,000 to 1.8 million, million Ohioans have already had the virus without overrunning hospitals and seeing massive spikes projected out of the gate. Couldn't it mean that spread is the wrong focus because the horse is already out of the barn? And doesn't it mean that contact tracing is nearly impossible based on sheer numbers alone and that we should be hyper-focused on antibody testing to understand the spread and um, better focus our resources on those who are most vulnerable? Well, we are focusing on those most vulnerable. Um, you know, we have an enhanced policy in regard to our nursing homes uh, as far as testing. Uh, we're going to be testing. Uh, National Guard is almost done uh, for that wave of testing. We're going to have additional testing uh, that will we'll start right after that uh, in regard to employees at nursing homes, and that will be done regularly. Uh, so we are focused on, on, on that group of individuals. Um, look, it's 6.5%, 6.2%, 63 um, You know, we are at the high uh, of where we've been for a while at least. Um, you know, when we really had bent the curve and had this really more under control, we were at about 4.5% positivity. Uh, we are testing a lot more people, a lot more t- people. Uh, we've increased testing at least 90, uh, you know, 90%. Um, but we've seen the positivity rate go up. Uh, we've seen the cases go up 200%. So to say this is under control, I think would, I don't know anyone who uh, really would look at this and say that in Ohio with the numbers and we're at higher numbers than we've been before, it's under control. Now what we are seeing, uh, Jack, is I think a beginning of, of getting some of this under control uh, in regard to people weren't more people wearing masks more people are wearing masks it is it matters it makes a difference uh and if we can continue to get people to to focus in all 88 counties on wearing masks when they're out in public uh keeping a distance um we can drive this thing to the the ground but um we got we got a ways to go we are in a very delicate situation uh as i indicated earlier i don't know if we've plateaued or not i would hope we had plateaued but we gotta we gotta wait uh but we just gotta keep knocking this thing down you're going to see tomorrow more of our counties that will turn red. Uh, you're going to see some of them that will go back, which is good. Uh, but this is a very dicey time. This is a very uh, cr- crucial time. 
And so we're going to continue to fight this, and I'm going to continue to talk to the people of the state. We can do two things at once. We're Ohioans. We're optimistic. Uh, we can move forward, but we've got to be careful uh, as we do it. Can, we shift can I ask something on the antibody tracing. testing? We have an, uh, right now we're in the field with our own antibody test. But I would check, uh, Jack, with the American Red Cross. They've been reporting numbers that show that the number of people, because when somebody goes and gives blood, they test to see if somebody has antibodies. And I think the, the numbers that they're coming back with are less than 2%. Uh, I think the latest number I saw for Ohio might have been 1.4% uh, positive for antibody testing. So um, you may want to go check with the Red Cross and some other, because I hope you're right. I hope the number is higher, but the data we have so far indicates it's not there. And, and we actually do have that number, and I forgot to bring it today, but we'll bring it tomorrow. Uh, we'll bring the number from what the Red Cross is reporting uh, to us. And this is just Ohioans who are going in to get blood. They do the test, and we can they've reported uh, what, what those numbers are. It's been a lot of Ohioans, so it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, sample of Ohioans. Good afternoon, Governor. Karen Johnson, WLWT in Cincinnati. Uh, the Ohio High School Football Coaches Association released a set of guidelines. They've asked you to review it. Have you reviewed them? Is it acceptable and is it enough for them and other contact sports if they follow suit to move forward with their season? Um, we're going to be giving them uh, additional guidance um, based upon what we're seeing in Ohio. Uh, and we're going to, before we do that, we're going to have conversations with them. So we're, we're not ready to announce that yet. But uh, look, everybody's concerned uh, about young people, uh, concerned about contact sports. Um, you know, we all want to see our kids uh, and our grandkids uh, in sports, whether it's in high school or whether they continue to participate when they're, they're in college. Uh, we know the importance of this. We know uh, what a season means to, to, to a young person, whether they're running cross country like a lot of our kids have done, uh, whether they're playing football. Uh, we had one son who played football. But uh, whatever those sports are, uh, we know how important they are. Uh, but frankly, we've got to get a little closer uh, to this in time. Uh, we know that the training is going on. We know the practices will have to be taking place. So we, we understand the timeline, but we want to see where we are and we need to get a little closer uh, before we can you know, make any kind of decision uh, in, in regard to that. But we'll be in consultation um, you know, w with all, all the, uh, the you know, a lot of the coaches and we'll be in consultation with the schools. I, I believe the I can, I can add. Uh, I have seen it. It's right here on my iPad. So we're we're taking a look at uh, taking a look at their plan. They've done some great work. It's very helpful to informing our conversations. So thanks thanks to them. Jim Audie from WHIO-TV. I want to go back to an earlier issue, the question that should have been asked. Governor, your reaction to the federal investigation and the charges, and did you have any suspicion at all of illegal activity right here at the State House? No, uh, I had no suspicion of any illegal activity. Um, you know, I quickly read um, the document that you've all have seen, uh, which came from the U.S. Attorney's Office. It's a very sad, uh, sad story. I mean, I said yesterday, this is a sad day for Ohio. Uh, when you have the Speaker of the Ohio House charged with a very, very serious crime, um, 
it's a it's a disgusting story. Uh, you know, having said that, uh, I think we always have to say in, in this great country of ours that everyone who is accused uh, has a presumption of innocence, uh, and we have to maintain that. But the story as laid out by the U.S. attorney uh, is just a, kind of a sickening story. Um, look, we all we all knew ads were being run. I mean, I saw what other Ohioans saw. We knew ads were being run, but um, didn't know the backstory. Thank you, Governor. How you doing, Governor? Josh Roldenberg with Spectrum News. I just wanted to ask about your mask order that goes into effect uh, tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Um, why was the decision made now, and the fact that you made one, do you wish you would have made it earlier? Well, I've, <laughs> you know, I've said, um, you know, when this is all over, uh, or I've jokingly said, because we wouldn't want this ever to happen, but, you know, uh, if, if, you, if you had to replay this, would we make different decisions? Sure. I mean, you know, hindsight is always is always better. Uh, but uh, you know, I, what I my thought process was this: uh, felt that masks would make a difference. Uh, also knew that there was significant resistance in Ohio. Uh, kind of wanted to bring Ohioans along uh, on this journey. Uh, that's part of what a governor does. Governor has to lead, but governor also has to bring people along. Uh, so we've been talking about masks for a while. Um, the evidence, as I said the other day, is certainly more clear today than it has ever been about uh, its abundance of proof about how important masks are. So we started off, as you saw, with red counties. Uh, we saw more and more counties move to red. Uh, we've also seen um, pretty good evidence, uh, not definitive yet, but pretty good evidence that more people are wearing masks, and that because more people are wearing masks, uh, we're seeing a slowing of the acceleration of this uh, in, in a lot of these red counties. So all that put together seemed that it was the right time to do it. Um, you know, I'll second guess myself later. Other people can already are doing it now, I'm sure. Uh, but look, there are people out here watching this on TV right now and saying, you know, there, there goes DeWine again doing something, uh, you know, telling us to do something that he shouldn't be doing. We've got other people out there who are saying, look, he should have done it a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Um, I gave a speech to the people of the state purposely did not have any uh, orders in it. Uh, what I wanted to do is have a conversation with the people last, last Wednesday. Uh, and really talk about where we needed to go as a state and, and where I saw it and where, frankly, I was concerned uh, that our numbers were looking like Florida three and a half, four weeks ago. Uh, so we're putting the orders in tomorrow. Um, and again, the goal is going to be, um, you know, on those on those counties that are red or excuse me, those counties that are yellow, those counties that are orange, our goal is to keep them there uh, and for them not to move in, into the into the red. Uh, we think this will make a difference. Um, so we're going to we're, we're moving ahead. Governor uh, Andrew Welsh Huggins with the Associated Press. Um, just following up on uh, Jim's question, uh, the U.S. Attorney has said uh, related to the House Bill 6 scandal that it's very much an ongoing investigation and there could be more arrests. Um, just for the record, what contact, if any, have you or your administration had with investigators and um, what assurances can you provide that this scandal might not implicate 
someone in your administration, I guess, up to and including yourself? Well, I've had no contact with the investigators. Um, the first time I heard about this was yesterday morning. So I've had absolutely no contact. To my knowledge, no one in our administration has had a contact with the, anybody in the investigation. Also go back, uh, you know, that question was asked. Uh, several of you asked that question yesterday to the U.S. attorney. Uh, and I think I'll go by what his, his answer was. So you know, we don't have any involvement in this. Uh, we don't know, didn't know anything about the investigation. Um, you know, we were surprised as everyone was yesterday morning. Thank you. Governor Andy Chow with Ohio Public Radio and Television State House News Bureau. I'm wondering, would you consider calling a special session of the General Assembly to hold a vote on householder's removal if he doesn't resign himself? Well, yes, I would. Um, I, I think we first have to look to the House. Uh, the House elected him. Um, they are a separate branch of government, the legislature is. I think there has to be some due respect and to allow them to deal with the problem. Um, and, and look, uh, I called yesterday for uh, the speaker to resign as speaker. Um, again, there's a presumption, always that presumption of innocence that always must be maintained. But I think it's clear that the speaker cannot function uh, as speaker. Uh, charged with a very, very, very serious crime, crimes, um, and a very, very tough, tough affidavit uh, describing a, a very um, horrible set of events. So I, I, I don't think there's any way that the speaker can continue to be speaker and to function uh, as a speaker should function. So we're talking to members of the, of the House. Uh, it's their obligation to do something about this. Uh, if they cannot, um, and again, it's, I'm still uh, trying to understand the House rules. I didn't serve in the House, uh, served in the Senate many years ago, but trying to understand those rules. But uh, if it's necessary for us to call uh, the legislature uh, into session, give them a specific uh, on a specific topic, which would be the speakership, I certainly would not hesitate to do that at all. Thank you. Hello, Governor Tara Morgan with ABC6. How do you restore the public's trust after something like this, with a case like this so huge that could have affected taxpayers? Well, I, I think that you know, that's a, another very sad thing about this story um, is that it does shake the public's trust in people who are in office, people who run for office, uh, and that is a very, very sad thing. Um, the other side of that is that every time you see um, a case where someone is charged with public corruption or charged with something similar to that, a public official who is charged, uh, what you know is that the system works, uh, that they were, in fact, brought to justice. So that may be uh, slight consolation, but I think it is something that people should consider. 
uh, that when you see a case like this, uh, it means that somebody came forward. In all likelihood, I don't know. I don't know anything about the case or how they did it. Uh, but it would, you would think someone came forward in some way uh, to the FBI, and uh, FBI did what they should do. Justice Department did what they should do, and here we are. Uh, but I, I think those of us in public office, uh, you know, have to work every single day to uh, obtain the public's trust. And, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's sort of like, uh, uh, you know, a lot of things in life you got to work at every day. And so it's, it's uh, something that we, those of us who run for office, those of us who hold public office, have an obligation to the public. Uh, for the public, at least, to look up and say, "Look, I I agree or I don't agree with that official, but you know, I believe they're honest. I believe they're trying to do the best they can." Good afternoon, Governor Jeremy Pelzer at Cleveland.com. Uh, so, Governor, about House Bill Six, there are many stories and editorials written for months about how this bailout stunk and how. Speaker Householder was funding his efforts. So with, with respect, Governor, how can you say you didn't suspect anything? And even if you support nuclear power, uh, why are you not more concerned about the legitimacy of a bill that was passed using what authorities say was the largest bribery scheme in state history? Well, I think, you know, my position on this you know, certainly predated the bill. I mean, our, our our position has been that we need nuclear power. Our position has been that we need uh, non-carbon uh, polluting um, energy. So, you know, the issue, the question that I was previously asked was, was I aware of anything illegal going on? My answer to that was no, I was not aware of anything illegal going on. Was it clear that a lot of money a lot of money uh, was being spent uh, on TV ads. Yes, that was that was clear. Uh, was it clear that there was an effort going on uh, to first pass it, uh, and then an effort to defeat uh, or to push back on the uh, petition process that was going on? All of that was reported by you and, and, and by others. So sure, uh, we were certainly aware of that, aware of a lot of, a lot of money. But how that was being done, uh, you know, certainly there was talk uh, that the speaker was involved in that. Uh, but beyond that, there was no indication that anything illegal was going on. Um, you know, this is a practice that, that is followed many times where people who are in favor of a bill or against a bill or against some cause, you know, raise money uh, and they spend the money. Uh, but by and large, most times they follow the law and, and they do that in, 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 a, in a proper way that has respect for the public uh, and that is, that it is proper. Governor, uh, 
Noah Blundo with Hannah News. I'm wondering if you've uh, gotten any indication from Washington on your request for uh, funding for the National Guard. And do you foresee a need for continued work of the Guard in related to civil disturbances, which is what that funding request letter addressed? Well, our real request, uh, what we're looking for is f in continuing funding for the Guard, frankly, is uh, primarily the COVID work. Uh, the National Guard is out today. I get a report every day from, I talk to the general, General Harris every day. Um, I look at the numbers, how many people that they tested or that they pulled samples from. Um, they're doing a bang-up job. Uh, they're also working in the food banks. So um, we have requested the extension, as many governors have, uh, from the, for the federal government to continue to pay for the Guard. Uh, we have made a decision uh, that, frankly, if, if the federal government does not, uh, that we're, we will pay for the Guard ourselves uh, because they are so essential, uh, at least for the next few weeks, they're so essential to, to what we're doing. We'll, we'll, we would review that on a week-to-week -week basis. But uh, the, the work that they are doing, uh, the men and women of the National Guard, is essential uh, to our uh, anti-COVID COVID efforts. They're in nursing homes. Uh, they're also the ones who are out doing a great deal of the community uh, into the minority communities and other rep underrepresented communities and making sure that their testing is, is being done there. So we're very proud of our guard and we're going to continue them working. We hope the federal government will pay for it. Uh, but if they don't, then we will, we will have to uh, do that ourselves. Hi, this is Jesse Ballmer with the Inquirer. Uh, given the severity of the allegations yesterday, what can you do or what can lawmakers do to prevent companies from subverting the legislative process or benefiting certain individuals? Uh, I, I, I'm a big believer in transparency. Um, I, I think that uh, you know, as much transparency as we can write into our laws that is consistent with Supreme Court decisions, U.S. Supreme Court decisions that we should do. Uh, I, I'm not a constitutional scholar, uh, but the rules have to a great extent been set by United States Supreme Court decisions. Uh, so we would have to follow those, but I would think and I will ask the state legislature, judiciary committees, appropriate committees um, of both the House and the Senate to take a look at that and to see how we can bring more transparency uh, to the process. Transparency, uh, you know, as they say, light is a great uh, disinfectant, not my quote, famous justice. But, um, uh, you know, I, I think this is something that we, we certainly should look at. John? Yeah, Governor. Um, look, I, I have a great template. I, I had a bill when I was in the Ohio Senate that passed the Ohio Senate that would require public disclosure of these types of funds. Uh, it was uh, Substitute House Bill 240 of the 128th General Assembly. I think it serves as a great template for doing these things. It passed the Senate. It never made it through the Ohio House. But um, there, there is every – this has been a problem for years. There are solutions to it to force more transparency. It's a, tra it's a template for doing it. We, we should see more of it. Governor, 
this is Jake Zuckerman from the Ohio Capital Journal. More Ohioans are in the hospital right now with COVID-19 than at any single point in the pandemic. For one, are hospitals equipped to shoulder this load? And two, is there any reason to believe that that rate or that number will decrease in the next couple of weeks? Well, that's a good question. Uh, first of all, the hospitals tell us that they, they, they're doing fine. But they always are concerned about what happens if we have spikes and if, they, if the current you know, trend would, would continue. Uh, you know, we're, we're way up um, as far as the number of cases. Um, we hope we've hit a plateau, but we don't know whether we really have or, 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 or not. So I think the hospitals would tell you today, and we talk to them all the time, uh, that they're doing okay. But it's incumbent upon all of us uh, to drive this, these numbers down. Uh, you know, some of the actions that we've taken today, some of the actions that we've taken in the past, uh, and actions that we're going to take in the future, all Ohioans uh, working together is going to matter. It's going to make a difference. So, uh, you know, we're going to continue to work on that. I may have missed what part of your question. Some of that I didn't answer. My my apologies. Are you seeing anything in the data that makes you think that that hospitalization load will decrease, or is it going to get worse? Hospitalization is always a lagging indicator. The final indicator, tragically, of course, is death and the number of deaths. But hospitalization is a lagging indicator. Um, ICU is something that we always look at. Uh, so, look, I cannot predict, uh, but what, what, I, what I do know, what I do know is if 80% of us, just 80%, wear masks when we're out in public, if we focus on keeping our social distancing, uh, if we think twice about bringing people over uh, who we haven't been uh, spending much time with uh, and bring them over for a social occasion, uh, if we do those things, uh, if, if we do everything that we can to stay safe, yeah, we can control this. Uh, we can control this. But we're, we're at a tipping point. This thing could go either way. Um, and so we, we have it within our control uh, about whether, you know, how bad the situation is going to get with our, with, with our hospitals. But I'm an optimist. I'm seeing progress with, with people wearing masks. Uh, I think we can do it. And, uh, you know, I'm betting on the people of Ohio that we can, in fact, do this and that we're not going to see uh, uh, overload like we're seeing in Florida or Texas or California. Thank you. Hello, Governor Ben Schwartz with WCPO in Cincinnati. Um, Governor, more and more schools are announcing their back-to-school plans for next month. Many are implementing blended learning and limited class sizes. How do you think this will affect fall sports in high school, um, especially with a number of seasons set to start in the coming weeks and um, with sports like football and soccer that have more than a dozen players per team? don't know yet, um, and that I know everybody would like to know, 
everyone like predictability, but um, you know our ability to have fall sports, all all sports that we want to see, our ability to go back to school uh, in in a safe way. It really depends on what we're going to do in the next couple of weeks. Um, and so we've got to have everybody wear a mask. We've got to have everybody just, you know, or the vast majority of people wear a mask. People be, be careful. Um, we can we can take this thing down. Uh, it's coming up on us, but we can certainly take it down. Uh, so uh, I don't have a crystal ball, can't predict, but it's, it's within our hands what we do in the next few weeks. Hello, Governor. Jim Province with the Toledo Blade. This is a follow-up to Jake's question a moment ago. Um, your initial shutdown of the, uh, the state's economy was designed to give hospitals time to prepare to expand capacity for a potential sur surge in cases. Um, those emergency plans were, for the most part, not put into play because that initial surge never happened. What is the status of those plans, and how quickly can they be put into play if necessary? Uh, every hospital uh, did, a, did a good job. Uh, some hospitals spent a lot of money uh, in, in planning. Uh, they all, one of the things that we check with them, uh, we were checking with them, I wasn't on the call, but we checked with them today, last 24 hours, uh, is, you know, what is their build-out capacity and how fast can they do it? Um, so they all know where they're going. They all know if there's a surge, where, where physically they're going. Uh, they all know what they're going to do. Some of them, for example, uh, will take their current hospital and add ICU beds right in that hospital. They may add additional regular, quote, regular beds in someplace else. But they all know where they're going. Uh, and so um, we're not starting, we would not be starting over again. We, we are in a long way from where we were the first time. Everybody's got their plans. Everybody's had contact with where they're going. Um, so I, I feel confident that if we reach that point, and we hope we never do, but if we reach that point that hospitals are ready to move. Patrick Cool here with the uh, the Columbus Dispatch. Uh, so my question is about testing. Uh, you mentioned it's uh, our testing capacity has gone up quite a bit. Um, are we where we need to be? And if not, uh, how close are we? Um, we've doubled testing. We need to double it again. Okay. That's my my best best guess. Um, and uh, I I'll be very candid. Uh, we've taken this testing up. Um, we're averaging probably now 21,000, something like that, 22. Uh, we were at 12. Um, we were at 8 not too long ago, really. Um, what is starting to happen again, and this has been an ongoing process, is, is a lot of testing is being done, obviously, in the southern states that we put up there a while ago. Um, and there's now a real crunch again uh, sometimes for some of the uh, ingredients if I can use that term that go into that go into testing 
and so we are now having, for example, some companies that we have contracts with that are cutting down the contract. They're saying we can't supply you with as much testing. Uh, we're, we're still trying to build out that testing, but it's, it's, a, it's a problem that every state is facing. Every governor is facing, every governor is trying to battle, do battle with. So we're trying to expand the actual testing. Uh, we have been, we've been successful, uh, but if you ask me where should we be, where would I like to be today, I'd be, like to be a lot more testing than, than, we have, than we have now. You have to also have the tracing that goes with it. And again, we also focus a lot on making sure our our health departments, you know, have what they need um, and are able to get the tracers that they need. Uh, just a quick follow-up. So, if we need to double testing capacity again, I mean, do you have an idea of how long that's going to take? Look, that's aspirational. I mean, we're, we're a lot better off than we were. Uh, you know, you asked me where I'd like to be, um, or at least that's what I answered. It's where we'd like to be, and we'd like to double what we have now. Um, you know, we're going to go into testing, for example, uh, in, in uh, staff that works in congregate care. We're going to be doing that very regularly. Uh, you know, that's going to consume a lot of testing uh, capacity, uh, but we also need to be out in the communities. We need to be in... Um, you know, we talked about today we're going to be in, in, in more uh, in, uh, you know, apartment buildings, for example, where people are living close to each other. There's a lot of testing that we should be doing, but it's not just testing. You have to have the tracing that goes with the testing. You have to be able to follow this. And, and let me just say, make an appeal. Uh, one of the things that we discussed with our uh, all the health directors this past week is the tracing and, you know, people's willingness to help them. And so I'm going to make a special appeal to those who are in their 20s uh, to please be cooperative. Uh, when you get that call from the health department, help them out. All we're trying to do is, is to uh, make sure that we, we slow the spread of this uh, disease, that we slow the spread of the virus. And so giving them information and helping them uh, is something that's very kind that you can do to your community, for your community and, and for others. Thank you. Hello, Governor. Kevin Landers, WBNS 10 TV. When we have election fraud in our state, we stop an election and do a recount. Under House Bill 6, we've got a cloud of bribery and a strong allegation of other misdeeds. Explain again why you don't think, why you don't support repealing HB 6 and maybe having a vote so that we have the transparency that you've called for. And also, your campaign took donations from First Energy. Have you considered of giving that money back? We uh, are going to give money back to anybody that has been charged, um, not to those who have been charged. I said that wrong. Uh, anybody who gave us money, uh, we're checking. But anybody who gave us money who has been charged, uh, we're going to donate that money to charity. They should not benefit from it, frankly. Uh, the charity should be um, get, get that. Uh, we're thinking about taking that money, maybe send it to food banks, which we have a big need for, certainly. Uh, as far as First Energy, um, look, it, it's they're not even named in the indictment or, or in the – wasn't an indictment, but not named in, in the affidavit. Uh, it would appear that First Energy's name is in there. Also, First Energy, uh, the, the, the spinoff group. Um, and so we're going to see. Look, uh, the U.S. attorney said the investigation is not over. If they're charged, uh, we certainly would give back any any campaign money, and we would 
again, wouldn't give it back, we'd give it to charity. So we have no, no problem doing that uh, at all. Going back to the first part of your question, look, uh, the House can bring this matter back up. The Senate can bring this matter back up. Um, the policy is, is, is good policy um, because people did bad things. Uh, does, not mean, does not mean that the policy is not a good policy. Now, we can disagree. Some people, you know, vote against the bill. Some people are, you know, against it. Uh, but, um, you know, certainly it can be brought back up again. And uh, my position is going to stay the same on the policy. Not on how it was done, but on the policy. Policy is, in my opinion, good policy. If we have any chance of having uh, in the, the immediate future um, carbon-free energy production of any significance in the state of Ohio, it has to come from nuclear. We also have a lot of families that are represented in those two nuclear power plants. So the, the policy is the right is the right policy, in my opinion. Uh, but that can, matter can be brought back up by the House, certainly can be brought back by the Senate. They can revote it if they want to revote it. Thank you. Hello, Governor. This is uh, Luis Gill with Ohio Latino TV, and this is, will be the last question. Governor, um, your play was full before the investigation came down the pipeline yesterday. And it puts another dark day in Ohio. And all you need is the frogs and the locusts, and you will be the plague. Hopefully, Ohio will have leave his dark days behind. Governor, I do remember when voting for this energy bill, it was confusing. You didn't know if yes means no or no means yes. Is that legislation that can be put in so when the voters come to the ballot or the election day, yes means yes and no means no? Well, certainly my, our plate was full before this. Uh, <laughs> certainly, it's been a it's been an interesting year. Uh, certainly, not the year anyone uh, thought was thought was coming. Uh, but look, I have a great deal of confidence in Ohio. Uh, the people of the state of Ohio, we are resilient, tough people. We will get through this like we've gotten through through other things. I think that, um, as we've talked about, uh, one of the things the legislature should look at is how do we get more transparency? How do we shine light on this? Uh, we uh, have to live with what the Supreme Court has said in regard to the First Amendment uh, and free speech uh, and some of this activity as far as the, the money, the spending of money being being part of, of free speech as interpreted by, by the Supreme Court uh, of, of the country. But uh, I think the legislature should look at this, uh, maybe use this as an opportunity to um, examine, um, you know, if there, if there are ways to make people come forward. Uh, they have a constitutional right to spend money, uh, but uh, it would seem to me that spending it in public so that you everybody knows where that money is coming from is, is certainly very, very important. Look, People assumed, uh, I think most people at least around Capitol Square assumed that proponents of this, and certainly that, that could have been uh, the energy company, uh, may have been behind this as far as money. 
but letting the public know exactly who's paying for what it seems to me to be a, a, a smart thing to do. John, I don't know if you want to add anything I, to that. I, I could add, you asked the question about yes means yes, no means no. <laughs> the, the ballot board, uh, when it's a ballot issue before the um, people of Ohio, is supposed to to clarify that. They're supposed to do yes means yes, no means no, making sure that the ballot language is clear, the Secretary of State plays a role in that. And then if the ballot board doesn't get it right, then the Supreme Court takes that up. You can sue, you can take it to the Supreme Court. That process has has worked pretty well over the years. Uh, Supreme Court has a, a, a firm test on this. And so that's the process for how, when it gets to the ballot, yes means yes, no means no, and the language is clear. Although, albeit, that when a group pays money to collect signatures, they get to write their own language in terms of what the ballot initiative says itself, and that can be confusing. But that's Ohio's process for con for making so doing initiative petitions, uh, constitutional amendments in terms of of um, how they can access to the ballot. So there's no doubt if a well funded organization, whether that be the casinos, whether that be repeal efforts on right to work, all kinds of things that we've seen over the years where money and influence um, can impact the way that the voters see language that appears before them. Candidates, they're coming for elections and hard people will engage on the Republican candidates and so on, that they perhaps they get a negative um, side of, for new candidates coming through the uh, election? Okay, there's a big echo, so I couldn't, I couldn't hear I, I the couldn't question very well. I don't know if the governor did. No, I did not. The echo, the, for, for those of you who are at home, uh, they're in the basement of the, <laughs> of the state house, and there's just, that room has a, has a very tough acoustics. So I, so I, was, I couldn't. Would they have ne negative repercussions on election day? Say that one more time. Say it one more time, yeah. Can you hear me? Would they have negative repercussions on election day for candidates in November? Oh, uh, I guess I guess we'll we'll have to see what impact that has. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm gonna. I don't have a crystal ball for that one. Not yet, anyway. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. We're going to end with a uh, video. We've seen some people come up with some great videos. This comes from, as you will see from clearly, from Cincinnati. Hi there, I'm Payne Maynard here with Fiona, asking everyone to stay a zebra length apart and wear a mask. Keeping everyone safe and healthy is our goal. Never leave home without it. I really don't know what the big deal is. <laughs> All right. Those are some happy, uh, happy thoughts. Indians in red start uh, playing for real this week. So look forward to uh, seeing you all tomorrow uh, at 2 o'clock. Thank you very much.